Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Monica, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And today is Friday, the 31st day of October 2014. And today we are in the big book, reading in the big book. We are in Bill's story. We are on page four. We will be starting with the second paragraph that begins the next morning. And today's readers are the 12 steps, Rabia, the 12 traditions, Santa, and then Anita L., Susie K., Sally, and Sharon H. And the share ID for yesterday, Thursday, the 30th day of October is 6996, 6996. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose OA's fifth tradition states each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And I will now ask Rabia to read the 12 steps, please. Good morning, my fellow visionaries. Hi, this is Rabia. I am a recovered compulsive overeater from New York. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of God's will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening, as a result of these steps, we try to carry the message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, I pass. Thank you, Rabia. I will now ask Santa H. to read the 12 traditions, please. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. My name is Santa H. from New Jersey, recovered 
Compulsive Overeater, Thank You, God. And these are the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscious. Our leaders are, are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from a primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service center may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11, a public, policy, a, a public relation policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. 12, anonymity is a spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principle before personality. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Santa H. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinent requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinent requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. And once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. And today we are resuming our study of the big book. We are in the chapter Bill's Story. We are on page 4. And we're going to be starting with the second paragraph that begins the next morning. And I'm going to ask Anita L. to read for us, please. Good morning, everybody. My name is Anita L. 
I'm a recovered compulsive overeater for today from the Philadelphia area. Next morning, I telephoned a friend in Montreal. He had plenty of money left and thought I I had better go to Canada. By the following spring, we were living in our accustomed style. I felt like Napoleon returning from Elba. No St. Helena for me, but drinking caught up with me again, and my generous friend had to let me go. This time, we stayed broke. Okay, so um, where it says, next morning, I telephoned a friend in Montreal. What was the next morning? Well, the paragraph before was talking about when the stock market uh, went crazy and everybody lost a lot of money. And, uh, you know, Bill lost money too. And... He wasn't going to jump from buildings, no. He went back to the bar. And then, you know, he was drinking and drinking. And then uh, it says, as I drank, the old fierce determination to win came back. So, uh, you know, booze was uh, the thing that gave him courage. And um, he decided that the next day he would call a friend of his who lived in Canada because this guy had money left. So he was going to try and mooch off of somebody else. So he and Lois went, and by the following spring, they were living in their custom style. So once again, he had his lows and then the high. But then drinking caught up with me again, and my generous friend had to or must let me go. And this time we stayed broke. So now he's running out of people to manipulate. And when he, when um, they stayed broke, fear was coming in. And the lows were really starting to break loose. And, uh, you know, life was at a low again. And that's what this whole story is about seeing the highs and the lows and the highs and the lows due to our disease. So uh, with that, I'm going to pass. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Anita. And would anyone like to comment on this paragraph? Hi, my name is Charles. I eat too much. Back in my chair. Okay, Charles. Bella. Suji. Okay, Charles, Bella, Suji. Anybody else? Okay, Charles, you're up. Hi, good morning. Thank you, Monica, for your continued service. Good morning, all visionaries. My name is Charles. I eat too much of a recovered compulsive overeater. Um, yeah, the drink caught up to me again. How many times? What, what I see here, I see a lot. What I see here is uh, the yo-yoing, you know, escaping, Escaping, it's like that movie Life, you know, Eddie Murphy and Richard Pryor, well, not Richard Pryor, Eddie Murphy and uh, what's his name, uh, Martin Lawrence, escaping and, and, and getting caught again. The yo-yoing, getting away, getting, and, and, and like the, the first previous speaker talked about so eloquent, eloquently, um, you know, the highs and the lows, like just 
and just coming to a like coming to a bottom, man, coming to a bottom, like broke again. I could I could just recall in in my addiction, um, getting over with a lot of stuff and and eventually people saying, Yo, you gotta go, bro. You know, um <laughs> this time we stayed broke. Thank God for my bottom and I know it got a trap door, but uh this time we stayed broke. That means to me, you know, that 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 fly by night life wasn't working no more. That white knuckle accident wasn't working no more. You know, uh <laughs> it you know, sugar had me high but uh it broke me down too. It broke me down. And and you know, for me, when I when I got convinced that I was broke this broken, I was broken. This is what I get from this paragraph. When I was broken, it was time for a change. And 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 you know, I crawled into OA, and I and, and I went around. I took the suggestion. I went around a sick meeting. But when my brother my brother passed in Jan, you know, uh, earlier this year, and I went to a face to face meeting in Miami, and somebody gave me this number, and I ain't looked back since. Once once you once I get to the prescription, there's nowhere else for me. This is the last house on the block with all you beautiful visionaries. And with that, I'm going to pass. My name is Charles. I eat too much. I love you guys. Have a great day. Thank you, Charles. Bella, you're up. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Bella, and I am a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Monica, for doing this service, and thank you very much, everybody on the line. Wow. As sad as this paragraph can be, this is where I was. I felt like Napoleon. Yes, before the program, um, I thought I have the control, and I thought that if only, if only I would go in a different place, if only I would have different teachers, if only I would be in control, I would be able to lose weight, if only, nothing to do with me. Thank you, God, that now I am in the program, and... Yes, I know that it's nothing to do with my control, my willpower. And here I see it. I felt like Napoleon. You know, he felt the king of the world. He felt a hero. And you could think, oh, now for sure he feels so wonderful. He feels so excellent. But drinking, what is the bad? But is forget about what was what you read before. It's a different story. But even though the way he felt, he went back to drinking, and and it's again a reminder for me that it's nothing to do in my control, and it's nothing to do with my willpower. I have to to be connected to the higher power to the to the power that accepts me and accept me when I feel like Napoleon and accept me when I don't feel like this. I have to be connected to a power that respect that respect me the way I am. And and it's nothing to do with my own willpower. Thank you for letting me share and I pass. Thank you, Bella. Suji, you're up. 
Good morning, fellow visionaries. It's Suji, recovered in southeastern Pennsylvania. Well, I'd like to draw attention to something on page 69 called Step 9 and to the word wherever. And note, it does not say whenever. It says wherever. Made direct amends to such people wherever possible etc. Don't injure them. Okay. So here we are again in good old Bill's story. And he's going wherever. He, but wherever is never whenever, except it is. It's exactly right now. Right now I'm going. He, his timing is off. I mean, this is just striking me because it's striking me that that's what's been off in me, an addict. Um, so so what does he do? He goes wherever. Oh, a friend, Montreal. Oh, Canada. Great. Let's go there. That's where the money is, you know. Um, and uh, and he's like Napoleon returning from Elba. Whoa, no St. Helena for me. And drinking caught up with him again, again, right now in his story. Right now, the drinking caught up, his addiction caught up, and he turned away from the good orderly direction and he turned right into his addiction again. And so his, all the generosity in the world from his friends did not take him to the right place because he was in the wrong place. He, he was back in his drinking. And, and so he has to get back in the right time, and the right time is right now. And, and right now, look what happened to him. Uh-oh, uh-oh, powerlessness, he stayed broke. So thanks for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Suji. Would anyone else like to comment before we move on to the next paragraph? Ecstasy. I heard Larry. I heard, I think, two other people, and I didn't catch your names. Esther C. Esther. And Vasa. And Vasa. Okay. Larry, Esther, and Vasta. (laughs) Larry, you're up. Hey, I I can be all three, believe me. It's a... Multiple personalities at any one time. Okay. Monica, thanks for your service. Larry, recovered compulsive reader from Chicago. Um, you know, what strikes me here uh, is, you know, again, <clears throat> just prior to, to him, you know, calling um, his friend in Montreal, you know, it's that old fierce determination came back. And that's where I can really identify in. And I, I talked to a lot of people today that, you know, um, I can't tell you how many times I binged and that old fierce determination. Because you know, the binge, you know, that, that high of the binge and then the low and the shame and the remorse and uh, perhaps you're feeling that <clears throat> this morning. Thank you, God, I, I don't wake up that way anymore. But but what one thing that I, one consistent thing that I noticed um, in, in, in reflecting back is that old fierce determination always seemed to come back until it didn't, you know, and that first determination, it was amazing how I would tell everybody what I needed to do. I just need, well, yeah, I picked up again and I, I, I just need to this, I just need to, and, and the, the just need tos, it's all about control. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes, <clears throat> excuse me, we're, we're full of control and this program, this spiritual program is really paradoxically about uh, about giving up control, but the human will is so strong and so powerful that 
I can see in Bill that old fierce determination came back. And, you know, the next bright idea is Paul's buddy in Montreal. And next thing he's off and running again until the, until he was broke the end of the paragraph. Right. And, uh, and that's where we are. You know, the, the, the question I always get is, you know, what do, what do I need to do? What do, what do I, uh, you know, what can I do to just, uh, to make this feeling go away? What can I do to get, you know, get on track here? And, you know, it's really hard to answer that in terms of because we there's there's will and there's won't. And we are in charge. Nobody ever held me down and forced, uh, forced you know, food down my throat. I did that. And I had to take responsibility for that. And I had to go through a period of uncomfortability. Bill would have to eventually go through a period of uncomfortability when he was on his knees, when this disease just throttled him. That's what it ha- what happened to me. And once the disease throttles you, then maybe you're ready to pick up the spiritual toolkit laid at your feet. Because really the only thing that's necessary is quite simple. It's very simple. Just work the steps precisely. That's it. You don't need a, a they don't talk about a sponsor. They don't talk about anything. Sure, we, we like guides and so forth to light that pathway. But all that was necessary, I was able to do in two months' time years ago, and, uh, and I got exactly what was promised. I got a complete spiritual transformation sufficient to arrest this disease, and it's been gone ever since. Not cured. That's why I'm on the phone right now. I do a lot of things, um, but that's what I take from this, and uh, with that, I'll pass. Thanks, Monica. Thank you, Larry. Esther C., you're up. Good morning. This is Esther C. from Canada. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. So in this paragraph, we read again that uh, Bill W. has made money. Again, he's been given an opportunity to pull himself together, and again, he blows it. Um, and there doesn't seem to be a shortage of lucky breaks for Bill or or um, successes for him. And he's made money quite a few times, but it just seems that no matter what uh, fortune brings his way, he doesn't seem to be able to handle it. Uh, or to maintain it or to make good use of it. And this is something that I related to uh, or that I relate to every time I read Bill's story because I always wished life were different and I had more of everything, you know, more love, attention, admiration, more stuff. But one thing I realized, and of course this is only after recovering, is that the presence of favorable circumstances doesn't necessarily help me, a compulsive overeater. I mean, in some ways, it can make things even worse. You know, it seemed that the the higher Bill W. got, the lower he was able to sink. And I knew that was the same for me as well. The more others around me tried to help me, the more, I don't know, life seemed to bring my way, in, you know, that in ways that could help me, then the worse that I became. And one thing I realized is that when I am separated from God, as I was when I was in my disease and as Bill was in his disease, that abundance is is of no use, and it's not only of no use, it could be used to, to destroy and to hurt and to keep myself further in the disease. Um, so today I always understand that any, anything in, in life um, I c- could be hurtful unless it's my actions are God-directed, are God-centered, um, and especially abundance. I always say uh, if you want a, an addict to make a small fortune, give him a large fortune because they don't know what to do. Um, with God's gifts when they're separated from God, and I certainly didn't. But thank God today, 
um, as a recovered person, I try to direct my thinking to be God-centered and then and and pray that I can make good use of all of God's gifts to me. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Esther. And Vasa, you're up. Yes, thank you. Good morning, Monica, and good morning, everybody that's on the line. My name is Vasa, recovered compulsive reader calling from Massachusetts. And, uh, again, after trying to put the, you know, I tried to relate to Bill's story, and I'm so grateful to be back to the vision for you, um, back to the Big Book Step Study. I took some time off. I kind of branched out somewhere else for a while, and, and the Lord and my heart kept on pulling me back to come back to the vision for you, and I'm so grateful to be back again. I mean, this is where I got my abstinence. This is where I found God, and uh, I I know I belong here with all of you. And uh, after trying to put the food down for 25 years um, with a lot of shame, I couldn't do it. I made so many promises to myself, and I remember making promises and bets with my husband. I'm going to, you know, if you know, if I maybe if I make a bet with him, you know, if there's money here, maybe I'll get motivated, you know, and yeah, I'd be motivated for one or two days, and I couldn't do it. I would always go back to it, and my husband would just laugh and say to me, "Forget it, don't give me the money," you know, and I wouldn't give him the money because I wasn't bread the winner in the house. He was the breadwinner. I didn't have much money, so. But anyways, I had no idea. I had no clue this was a disease, you know, of the mind and the the mind, the body, the soul. You know, I had no clue. I, you know, I was a food addict. I did not know about the allergy. Uh, I, you know, I didn't know I had God, but I didn't understand the spiritual part. I didn't have a connection with God. Uh, I was separated. The food kept me separated from God. Uh, so coming through the doors of overeaters was with desperation. This was my last stop after many, many, many years. And I expected the scales. I even remember going to the Weight Watchers. I became a life member from there, but I could never stick with it, you know. And, yeah, I was waiting to see the scale and, you know, the, you know, the things that I was doing other places that didn't work. And finally, I felt at home. I remember, even from the first meeting, I said, "This, I belong here. I fit here." And I didn't even tell my husband that I was an Overeaters Anonymous, and uh, because I know he was going to say, "Oh, how long is this going to last?" You know, because everything that I tried, it didn't last for very long. So it took me a while to tell him what I was doing. And it didn't matter what my husband was going to say, how long is this going to last or not. I was going to stick with it because I knew this was the answer to my problem. Now, I'm just so thank you. I'm thank you, God, for that I've stuck for all these years. And uh, my whole life has just changed around my thinking. But again, for me, it was just surrender to God and surrender to the programs I could not control. You know, I could not control the food anymore and gave that control to God, you know, to the, you know. And that's the, it gradually, that's what started working. Number one was the, with the food that I could do one day at a time. I got with the support and the encouragement of the people that were in that program. They would call me, you know, hey, how you doing? 
And I, that's what I try to do, call the newcomers. Sometimes not, I'm not very good about it. And I need to think where I was when I started my program, how much I appreciated the phone calls, especially when, you know, when I wanted to eat, you know, or me to make the phone call to reach out. I'm just so grateful to be back at, uh, on the vision for you. Thank you all, and I pass. Thank you, Vasa. And let's move on to the next paragraph. And Susie Kay, will you read for us, please? Good morning, Monica. I'm Susie Kay, a recovered compulsive reader in Maine. We went to live with my wife's parents. I found a job and lost it as a result of the brawl with the taxi driver. Mercifully, no one could guess that I was to have no real employment for five years or hardly draw a sober breath. My wife began to work in a department store, coming home exhausted to find me drunk. I became an unwelcome hanger-on at a brokerage, at brokerage places. So I identify with this in that when I was eating my binge foods and um, I had, I was completely unpredictable that the um, you know, I was out of control. I didn't know where it was going to take me. Um, you know, and really in the second sentence in this paragraph, mercifully, no one could guess that, that I was to have no real employment for five years or hardly draw a sober breath. I really didn't know. I did not know if I could be eat abstinently. I did not know when that was going to happen again. I didn't know when I was going to stop eating compulsively. I didn't know how long it was going to go on for. Um, you know, the, the physical craving, the mental obsession had taken over, and um, um, I'm so grateful today that I live um, abstinently and in recovery and with this program and spiritual, the spiritual um, uh, tools, and just really grateful for that, and I pass. Thank you, Sally. I mean, excuse me, Susie Kay. Would anyone like to comment on this paragraph? This is Janet. Janice, Liz. Liz. Okay, Janice M. and then Liz. Well, thank you, Monica, and thank you for your service. Good morning, everyone. My name is Janice M. from Massachusetts, and I am a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. How humiliating is this for somebody who is so <laughs> egocentric and, and ego and grandiose? Now he's he's brought down to a humiliation level like I was. You know, um, he was on top of the world. He, you know, was riding in the clouds. Now he's under the roof. <laughs> Imagine of your in-laws. Oh, my goodness, you know. Thank, thank God, you know, his life was deteriorating, and his life was getting smaller, smaller and smaller. You know, no employment. His wife had to go to work. He's living with his in-laws. Now he needs to drink just to be normal. Now he sees, I mean, this was me. Everything was good. Everything was like, oh, I had the business, I had this. Then I started seeing everything becoming small because my eating progressed and my life was getting smaller because I didn't need anybody else. I didn't even need my business. I sold it. I thought that would be the answer, you know, sell your business. And then then my life started getting very unmanageable by me. 
I couldn't see it when I was in the food. But then it started getting unmanageable by me because I kept managing everybody. And, um, you know, I was like uh, two doors uh, out of the house anyway, almost. Um, yeah, you know, it's uh, unmanageability, humiliation. Um, well, we'll see what happens. This is what happens. It's, it's guaranteed. Progression, if you're a compulsive overeater, a real compulsive overeater like me, there's only three ways to go. And one is to be recovered. Second is to go insane before I die. I mean, you know, you don't just go dead. You get crazy, and then you die. Um, so thank you, God, you know, that um, I got the gift today. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Janice. Liz, you're up. Hi, this is Liz. Can I be heard? Yes, you can. Thank you. My name is Liz. I'm a recovering compulsive overeater from Philadelphia. I'm grateful to be on the line today. Uh, And what this paragraph makes me think of is just how my uh, compulsive overeating affected so many other people in my life by inconveniencing them. Um, I know a lot of times I hear people wonder, as a compulsive overeater, what amends they have to make to someone because they haven't gone to jail, they haven't cheated on a spouse or whatever, but um, for me, the list of people that I had harmed due to the irresponsibility of my illness was very long, and I'm reminded of that, like uh, Bill, whose wife had to get a job because he wasn't working or drawing a sober breath. Um, So what that looked like in my life, you know, in high school when my uh, compulsive overeating days were just beginning, you know, needing to do a French paper and waiting until the morning of or the night before not to do it, and my mom, who also spoke French, doing the paper for me. Um, Or, you know, my mom preparing food for my brothers to pack in their lunch or whatever, and I would eat it before she got a chance to send them off to school or whatever with it. Um, Or the time when I was on a community service trip and got so engrossed in the binging and purging that I literally could not function and my father had to use all of his frequent flyer miles to fly me out of the place where we were doing the service trip because I just couldn't even participate anymore. Or the times uh, at my job where I spent the entire day going back and forth to the vending machine. Um, Certainly wasn't doing quality work for my employer when I was constantly leaving the room to go to the vending machine, let alone the meetings or tasks that I couldn't do with a clear mind because my head was always in a food fog from all the sugar and excess food I was consuming. Um, So I definitely had amends to make once I got to the eighth and ninth step. Uh, And I'm just so grateful today that I have a different way of living now where uh, it certainly isn't perfect, but at least I have the clarity of mind uh, and the sobriety to realize when I am uh, responsible for something and when um, I have an amend to make because I've let a responsibility fall to someone else that should have fallen to me. So I'm grateful for recovery, and thanks for letting me share. I pass. Thank you, Liz. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Yes, this is Amy. 
Sally um, Leah. <laughs> all right. Um, I heard Sally and Leah, but there was somebody in the beginning I did not catch. Amy? It was Amy. Amy. Yes, it was I, Amy. Okay, so I did get it. Amy, Sally, Leah. Amy, you're up. Good morning, vision for you, folks. My name is Amy. I'm a compulsive overreader, recovered, grateful to be so in Maryland. I just had to jump in here real quick. Five more years. Have we not been hearing his story of of alcoholic destruction, and yet he had five more years to go? I mean, let's get real, folks. This is a disease that wants you dead. And if it doesn't kill you like it almost killed me, it would be happy to make us miserable, uncomfortable, unhappy, and destroy our lives and the people around us for the rest of our lives until we actually do die of this disease. This is the mental obsession at work. Here is a man that does not want to be doing what he's doing. And I can relate because I was the same. Why was I continuing to make myself sick and ill and suffering by putting food in my mouth that I know I should not have been eating, that I knew I couldn't stop once I started, and yet I would be in the refrigerator five bites into a binge going, how did I get here again against all of my wishes and my will? And yet five more years to go. How many years is it going, what's it going to take me? You know, and this is what this disease does because our minds are warped when it comes. It talks about this in step one, that we have warped our minds with such destructive eating that we cannot see clearly. And it takes an act of providence, something greater than us, something outside of us to restore us to sanity. And this is what the beauty of this program offers, the ability to transform lives to the point that the food no longer calls to us. And that's the beauty and the hope that this program offers. But if we don't choose it, like me, as I truly believe myself to be as a compulsive overeater, that I, too, would have continued down the path of destruction. It talks about on page, what is it, 2425, that we have two choices here. We either continue eating into oblivion or we pick up the kit of spiritual tools laid at our feet. That is the 12 steps. That is this program. That is what it does. It saved my life because this program, I mean, this disease would have killed me. I believe that in my heart. It has killed many of my friends. I have seen the devastation. I've seen it in my own life, and I have experienced and seen those around me, Lord. So this program offers us a, a, a life, a lifeline. The 12-step offers a lifeline or we continue down the path of destruction. There's always another bottom. I hear that all the time in the rooms. The hole stops when you stop digging, but there's always another bottom. The disease would be happy to take you there. Let's take the lifeline that these 12 steps offer. Let's take that lifeline, and with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Amy. Sally, you're up. Thanks, Monica. Thanks so much for your service to all of us. This is Sally, a recovered compulsive overeater in South Jersey, and this paragraph is really so sad to see this guy um, who really is such a he really is such a brilliant man, and to see him just wallowing back and forth, struggling to get out of a pit that he's living in. And when he tells us he went to live, we went to live with my wife's parents. Uh, it speaks volumes um, of the the 
the, the decline of what his life is beginning to look like. And he's, stri- he's trying to climb out. I found a job. Okay, he's trying to climb out of this pit, then lost it as a result of a brawl with the taxi driver. So Bill's giving us an insight here that he was a scrapper, and I have been a scrapper. I still struggle not to be a scrapper. Um, we see over and over and over in the big book, he's telling us on page 98, the bottom line, argument and false finding are to be avoided like the plague. Page 103, bottom line, after all our problems were of our own making, bottles were only a symbol. Besides, we have stopped fighting anybody or anything. We have to. Bottom of page 84, it's always the bottom line. And we have ceased fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol, for by this time, sanity will have returned. And so he's giving us an insight here that he, he, lost, his, he lost the job as a result of a brawl with a taxi driver. A little brawl with a taxi driver, I would love to have heard the full, the full story behind that. And so we get a picture. He's giving us a snapshot picture. His wife began to work in his apartment store, and she's coming home exhausted to find me drunk. And what did he do with his days? Because he didn't really have a life. His whole life was just drink. He became an unwelcome hanger-on at brokerage places. This, this was just him just floating around like a leaf tossed in the wind in the autumn. So we're getting a snapshot of what his life looked like, the bottom that he's coming to. And he hasn't even reached the bottom yet. Thanks for letting me share with that iPad. Thank you, Sally. Leah, you're up. Thanks so much, Monica. Hi, everybody. It's Leah. I'm recovered. No, he hasn't gotten to the bottom yet. And, you know, it's, this certainly isn't pretty. You know, we've seen the progression of his illness. And, uh, you know, I relate to this, certainly. You know, my life was deteriorating faster than I could lower my standards. And certainly that's the case for Bill. Um, you know, here's a man who had, you know, enormous pride, and of course now he can't hold a job. Mercifully, I, no one could guess that I was to have no real employment for five years or hardly draw sober breath. You know, and I, and I remember that time. You know, things are getting progressively worse. It wears you out. The disease is wearing Bill out, and it certainly wears out everyone around him. I mean, his wife is coming home exhausted because she has to pick up the uh, all the responsibilities. You know, he's getting himself into embarrassing situations. That'll continue. Uh, he certainly has lost control of his drinking. He's losing control of his employment. You know, the text tells us elsewhere, you know, that we have all these abilities and, and you know, strengths, and yet we pull the structure down upon us, uh, you know, through this uh, self-imposed crisis. I mean, those are the big big books uh, words, you know, self-imposed crisis. But that's exactly what's happening. I mean, we hear all the time and speak all the time about the promises of recovery, but here we're reading about the promises of disease. You know, I had to take a look at the results of the way I was living, and my results had been terrible. I had to take an honest assessment of my life. You know, I had no close friends. My family was, uh, you know, very disappointed in my behavior. And, uh, you know, the relations were very strained. Uh, you know, I was angry. I was full of resentment, full of self-pity, silence, scorn, isolation, you know, deep depression, eventual suicidal thinking. Those are the promises of, of disease. 
just like our bedevilments, right? Having trouble with personal relationships, couldn't control emotional natures, prey to misery and depression. I mean, this is what we're reading here. He can't make a living, Bill's, you know, unhappy, his wife is unhappy. I mean, those are the results of disease, and it wears everybody out. And you know what? It's not done. It's not done. (laughs) The disease ain't done yet. Because willingness is a one-person job, and you can throw all the money and all the employment and all the support and all the encouragement of everyone around you, and you know what? It is a decision that we make deep down within our soul. (laughs) We have to surrender and submit and decide to embark upon a journey that brings us into a relationship with a power greater than ourselves that will restore us to sanity. So Bill still has some work to do here. You know, and I relate to that. I mean, when I call, you know, came crawling into Overeaters Anonymous with tombstones in my eyes, I knew a lot about compulsive overeating. I had been doing that for a long time. I had a wide variety of experience with compulsive overeating. But what I did not know about, and what Bill doesn't know about, is how does Bill live in Bill and stay sober <laughs> and happy at the same time? More to come, and with that, I pass. Thanks. Thanks, Leah. Would anyone else like to comment on this before we move on? Okay, I'll take that that we're going to move on to the next paragraph. And Sally, would you read for us, please? Yes, Monica. It's still Sally recovered in South Jersey, Sally A. Liquor ceased to be a luxury. It became a necessity. Bathtub gin, two bottles a day, and often three got to be routine. Sometimes a small deal would net a few hundred dollars, and I would pay my bills at the bars and delicatessens. This went on endlessly, and I began to waken very early in the morning, shaking violently. Monica, did you want me to read two paragraphs? Continue with this paragraph and finish at the end of this one. That's the end of this one. Okay. So A tumbler full of gin? Oh, did you read sorry. that? Eyes doing playing games. A tumbler full of gin, followed by half a dozen bottles of beer, would be required if I were to eat at eat any breakfast. Nevertheless, I still thought I could control the situation, and there were periods of sobriety which renewed my wife's hopes. Okay, so he had a couple of good diets. So going back to the beginning of the paragraph, liquor ceased to be a luxury. So I really identify with this. I was living to eat. It wasn't about fun anymore. It was about me waking up, um, having my post-traumatic stress syndrome of the morning of, oh, my gosh, what are you doing? Are you crazy? And by 2 o'clock, being back in the food and and, and planning, okay, where am I going to get this? How am I going to get that? How can I possibly get to the store? And so, like me, this guy is no longer drinking because it's, you know, a luxury or it's part of his day or it's an afternoon uh, drink, it's like he's just surrounded with the thought of drink. And he's got a problem, too, because it's expensive. Bathtub gin, two bottles a day. So he's modifying what he's drinking because he's got to get it cheap at this point to get his, his drug of choice, basically. So sometimes a small deal would net a few hundred dollars. Did he give it to his wife and say, here, honey, pay a bill with this? No. He'd make sure that the bars stay open and that he had a place to go. And this went on endlessly, and he began began to wake early in the morning, shaking violently. So we see the progression of the illness. We see that he's planning his day around his addiction, 
and we see that it's physically taking a toll with the progression of the illness shaking violently. A tumbler full of gin followed by half a dozen bottles of beer would be required. Not, gee, this would be nice. And I can identify because for me it was about, it was the same exact mentality of how can I get myself to a place of numb as quickly as possible. And remember, you can't selectively numb. You're numbing everything. Your whole life is being numb. Nevertheless, I still thought I could control, keywords control. Read page 30, 30 and 31, more about trying to control this thing. I still thought I could control the situation. And there were periods of sobriety which renewed my wife's hope. Periods of sobriety, a couple of good diets. I can identify with that. Thanks for letting me share with that I have. Thank you, Sally. And would anyone like to comment on this paragraph? Scotty Kim? K. Sarah W. Scotty K. Sarah W. Okay, Scotty K., you're up. Hey, good morning, folks. Scotty K. from New York City, recovered compulsive overreader. Um, I read this paragraph, and it's just, this is, for me, this is where Bill really begins to take his first step, um, where he realizes it's, it's not just a luxury anymore. Alcohol just wasn't a luxury. It's a necessity. You know, I think about myself and my childhood and what brought me into Overeaters Anonymous uh, um, more than two decades ago. And the best way I can explain it would be like one of those mathematical charts with zero in the middle, negative 10, and then on one side and positive 10 on the other. And when I was 12, when I was eight years old and my mother would yell at me or hit me for something or did whatever, and I ran into the refrigerator, grabbed whatever piece of fruit was there into my bedroom and, and binge, just really just tore it, tore it to pieces, Something came over me. Something gave me that, that whoosh over my body. It made me feel special. It made me feel amazing. And it took all the pain away. And I chased that, that, that same good feeling for many, many years until I was over 500 pounds and was, and was crawling into the doors of Overeaters Anonymous. And for me, you know, by that time, I was probably living on negative eight or negative nine and needed to eat just to bring myself up to zero. So, I mean, I really can imagine, I really can identify with Bill talking about this. Um, even later in the paragraph, talk to, talking about a tumbler of gin full, but followed by a half dozen bottles of ale required to eat any breakfast. I mean, for me, before I was even to get out of bed, I would always reach down under my bed and find some, some jar of Duncan Hines frosting just to shove in my mouth to have that sugar and fat and, and just that, that food just to get myself out of bed. And, you know, it, it, that's just pretty much what the disease was like for me, and I'm just so grateful 23 years later that just my life is completely, completely different today that I don't have to experience that anymore. The first thing I do now when I wake up in the morning is say good morning to God, and, and that's just an incredible change, and uh, with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Scotty Kay. Sarah W., you're up. Uh, thank you for your service, Monica. This is Sarah W., Grateful Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Um, a lot has been said. You know, the thing I keep thinking in my mind is that so many people, unfortunately, um, feel that this is, you know, uh, basically we have a little problem. You know, it's nothing like, you know, being a true alcoholic. You know, it really doesn't kill us. You know, there's nothing that says on the death certificate, you know, died of compulsive overeating. You know, uh, the reality is that this probably kills more people than anything else does. I mean, more than cancer. I mean, more than heart disease. Um, You know, I mean, strokes, uh, aspiration. You know, I know for myself, 
you know, I would eat to the point where I would literally start choking. And, um, you know, I had sleep apnea. Um, I, I had COPD very bad. Um, and I had high hypertension. And, you know, today I don't have any of those things. I mean, my gosh, uh, you, you know, the disease does take us. You know, um, it, it's funny. Uh, there's a place... Um, that, that you can go through my town and you have to go through a, a graveyard and uh, right next to a mental hospital and next to a, 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 um, a jail. And, you know, that's what it says that, that the disease can create. I know for myself that I've driven just like an alcoholic. You know, I've, had, I've, I've dropped a French fry on the, on the ground of my car and literally took my eyes from the road and was digging down, even though I had the rest of them up on my lap after I'd gone to like two or three fast food places, and I'd be digging on the ground to try to get that, that last french fry, the insanity. You know, you can sideswipe a car, you can die. Uh, and, and, you know, I guess the thought I have is also that I remember waking up and having sweats to the extreme because of my eating the night before. You know, this has an effect on our bodies. Well, today what I can say is that, you know, this program really can work. You know, if you really want it badly enough, I don't know about you, but I've gone to such extremes to get the food, to get my drug of choice. And it's just going to the extremes to get the recovery that we need. That's what it takes. It takes what it takes to get there. But we have to do the work, and no one can do it for us. So grateful for all of you on the line, grateful for my higher power, grateful for my abstinence, and grateful for sanity, because that's what this program has given me. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah W. Uh, Carolyn from New York. Carolyn, go ahead, and you'll probably be our last year. Carolyn, go ahead. Okay, thank you. Um, this is Carolyn S. This is Sam from New York, a recovered compulsive overeater. Um, yeah, liquor was not a luxury anymore. Um, I, I, I did not have any choice anymore about eating. I mean, I, I just, no matter how much I wanted to stop, I couldn't. I, I was a slave to my addiction. Um, and the words, this went on endlessly. Um, you know, and he would wake up in the morning shaking violently. I mean, I would it just went on and on and on. And I would, I would have a couple of days of abstinence and I would think, okay, I got this. You know, it's, it's, it's going to be okay. And then boom, back into the food over and over. Sometimes I got weeks, months, you know, I got over a year once, but inevitably I was back in the food and it was an endless cycle. It was that cycle down, 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 down until you're living in the black dot in the middle. And, um, awakening in the morning, you know, shaking violently. I mean, I would wake up, after you know a prodigious binger, binge, and um, and in the morning I, I would feel like I had been drinking for days, you know, I, which I I don't enjoy drinking because I hate the hangover, and it was like I had the world's worst hangover. I could literally feel trembling in my body. I wasn't shaking violently, but I was trembling throughout, and my head was pounding, and my mouth was dry, and you know, I, of course, my belly was swollen to the point of of pain. And my eyes were puffy. I would look in the mirror. And it was my eyes were all puffed up. My face was puffed up. My fingers were swollen. My rings were tight. I mean, it was it was a violent reaction to a violent abuse of my body. And um, you know, you would think that this would cause me not to eat, and it might for a few hours. 
But as soon as I started feeling better, it was like, then I had to deal with the remorse, horror, and hopelessness. Like, I can't believe I did that, you know, beat myself up. And then what is going to make me feel peace and comfort after that? What it, who, who is my best friend? Who do I go to in times of trouble? Food. No sense at all. There, there is no logic in this disease. It is pure misery. And I'm so, so grateful that I'm not there today. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Carolyn. And we have reached an of our time here this morning so quickly. Thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And Sharon, can you read for us from a vision for you, please? Yes, thank you, Monica. This is Sharon, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Colorado, Sharon H. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.